With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to the Dynamic Dojo Show. With Restita and Robert. Your source for martial arts talk radio. I am Robert Deal. Sifu Rosita will not be with us this evening. She is uh, judging a big tournament up in Seattle. But before I go on, I would like to bring on my guest co-host, a dear friend that I've only known like three months, uh, newly in, uh, <laughs> a new, brand new ambassador of the Madison Hall of Fame, their legal advisor. Please help me welcome to the show. Michelle Manu. Michelle, welcome to the show, and thank you for being here. Oh, thank you, Bob. I'm excited to be here. And I can't fill Rosita's shoes, but I'll do my best. That, that's okay. I understand. Just do your best. All we are here to do is have some fun. Uh, we both know, know uh, our guests very well. I've known him for almost 20 years. Uh, great guy. Very controversial. And if our listeners... Uh, <laughs> are going to spout any negativity. I have a magic button over here that I'll hang up on. <laughs> I won't allow any negativity towards any of our guests ever. It is a, a forum-type show, but let's be positive. So one thing, Michelle, Christine and I are trying to bring the martial arts community together as a family. Mm-hmm. And I want to get away from the ego, and you're, you're well aware of that, and you're, you're probably... I, I know people paid their dues, but as a woman in the martial arts, you probably paid your dues harder than anybody I know. Well, I still pay my dues, but I, you know, I love the focus of the show, and that's something I do personally, but I still want a magic button. Can I have one of those? <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah, you'd want to use it in your real life. That's true. That's very true. Mm-hmm. You know, it was funny this week, and this is where I, I spout off some funny stories. My my family used to do some really incredible funny things I used to share. But then they started figuring out that if they say stuff that, to me, it may end up here. And quite often. <laughs> of course now, it would. This, this week, it was actually at work. Now, sometimes at work, I feel like a third grade English teacher because most of the employees are not U.S. born. We have Israeli and and I think Ukraine and a couple others. So they'll ask me to sell stuff, which is okay with me. Well, one girl, uh, and sometimes they're fairly easy, like one girl a couple weeks ago asked me to sell the word verify. This week it was funnier because 
she asked me, so how do you spell one? O-N-S-E? And I said, what's it used for? She said, you know, one. Uh, I said, okay, it's O-N-E apostrophe S or O-N-E-S. And she said, yeah, like the old ones, and put her hand on my shoulder. I was like, why would you do that? She's funny. <laughs> oh, it was, and you know, because she she's from another country. She meant nothing by it, but she didn't realize how it came out. <laughs> and then oh, us Americans my, are so insulted easily, so, you know, yeah, that happens. I, you know, it was actually so funny the way it came out. Then my daughter went to the beach yesterday. She's trying to convince me. And now you remember how us fathers are when you're yeah. a teenager. Well, uh-huh. <laughs> it was hilarious. Because she's trying to convince me the whole male body at her high school is gay. Then there's nothing wrong with that, so don't get me wrong. But she wants to make sure that I, I don't feel any threatened. And my wife yesterday said, you really don't want to know the truth about that, do you? I said, no. And she said, because you can't handle the truth. Now, take into consideration, that was my best Jack Nicholson impression. And I said, oh, my, when she said you can't handle the truth, I go, oh, my God, Michelle's an attorney. This is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think all sorts of teenagers, especially females, always try to get one over on their parents. Now, my daughter has a little bit more difficult time with me than her dad. Um, but, I mean, like, moms know. We already know before they're going to say something. And then the way they say it, we know they're full of junk. So, yeah, good luck to your daughter on that one. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? It's like, well, let's see, your brother graduated there last year, and I know he's straight, and, and your friend's girl, boyfriend went there, and he's straight. Oh, but they don't go there now, so everybody else is gay. And I'm like, what are you trying to pull? <laughs> they, they think we haven't done what they're about to do. Ah, uh, exactly. <laughs> how many, and how many times have you said, oh, my God, I hope my daughter doesn't do what, do what I used to do when I was her age? You know, luckily she's not as fiery as I was at her age, so I'm grateful for that. But, yeah, no, there's, you know, with the social media the way it is now, uh, it's hard for us parents to really get a grasp on what they're doing um, and how they're doing it. But at the same time, they're so quickly posting things, like it's a personal journal, that we can create secret identities and actually go on to their public blog after they've blocked you from their own blog um, as yourself. So they're not the brightest either. They want that audience and um, they get it, but their whole world is a whopping hundred people that keep retweeting and and tweeting uh, what they say. So, you know, their world is relatively small still. And and as parents, we have to have a a handle. Yeah. We have to have a handle on it as best we can. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're going to move on. Uh, first off, we have birthdays this week. One very, very famous kickboxer, uh, nutritionist, Cheryl Wheeler Duncan. Her birthday is on the 18th of the month. Uh, Steve Oderkirk, did you ever see the movie uh, Gung Pao, Enter the Fist? That, that yes, comedy? fantastic. He, mm-hmm. he was a main character. He produced it. He directed it. He starred in it. He was at the at, at the end during the outtakes. He was getting poked in the groin with the bows, and finally said, "Hey, can oh, I that's just up my speed." <laughs> uh, Lil, Lee Lolio, he's a uh, JKD instructor out of uh, 
uh, Oxnard, California. The next one, there is this group of girls out there. They are the absolute sweetest, most respectful. I mean, they, they, they passed a ranking test a couple weeks ago, and I openly congratulated them how proud I am of this. I got this email that said, thank you. That means so much coming from you. Like, have anybody, right? And these girls are very similar to you, very nice, very pretty, the kind of girls that wouldn't give me the time of day in high school, right? And oh, they wow. are just the sweetest people in the world. There's three relatives, two sisters, uh, an aunt, and their friend, Anna. So I really do want to wish a happy birthday to Jackie Marie Petro, you arrived. Wow. And I know, Jackie, if you're listening, I apologize for screwing up your name. Her birthday <laughs> is on the 23rd. And uh, do you have any birthdays you'd like to do a shout-out for, Michelle? You know what? I don't. Not in the martial arts world. So. Oh, very cool. I do, well, but I, yeah. But don't. <laughs> well, this birthday song is for you. Happy birthday, everybody. We're going to move right on to shout-outs. Now, you and I, of course, are going to see each other in a couple weeks at the Martial Arts Museum Hall of Honors, and that is going to be on the 6th of September at the beautiful Burbank Colony Inn, St. Blaise Dragon Fest was held. I've got a couple mm-hmm. friends coming down, actually mutual friends, Rosita Diaz from Seattle, uh, We've got Robert Parham from uh, uh, Fairfield, California, Lisa King, uh, Don Baird, uh, you know, William Chris Paul. We've got a bunch of people coming. Uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and you're, you're being honored this year as well, right? Well, you know, my attendance is still in question. I actually have a conflict, and uh, I would like to try to be there, but it's not sure. I'm not for sure yet. Oh, very good. Well, I do hope to see you there. Uh, one more yeah. shout-out. I, I just got this online. Brent, there's a gentleman doing ninja books, and the reason uh, he brought it up to me today is because of, of course, our guest star, uh, our, our guest on the show, Frank, uh, Frank Dukes of Dukes Rune Ninjutsu, The Fast System. Uh, it's, it's a six-series. It's a six-book series called Brendan and Carson's Ninja Adventures. Uh, they're kids' books, and they're really cool. Look for the link on the Dynamic Dojo Facebook page. And, Michelle, you also have a shout-out. I do, Bob, and it's for my own halau. So the Lua Halau Okaivalu is holding its annual seminar this Saturday, August 23rd, at Eisenhower Park in Orange, uh, California. So we'd love to have you all join us. It's a little bit of outside training. And you can find more info at www.alohe.com. That's O-L-O-H-E.com. That's it, Bob. 
Wow. How cool is that? Are you, now, what, what's the outside training going to be? Is it going to be weapons? Is it going to be empty hands? Yeah, it's going to be both, and then we're going to have to brave the elements of the sun on purpose for quite a while, and then we'll move to the shade later in the afternoon. But it's a full-day seminar, and we have some Dawson Rue folks from Burbank uh, joining us in Orange. Um, a couple of the Palma board members will be showing up. Um, that's the Pacific Association of Women Martial Artists, and you know, a bunch of martial artists that do train uh, Lua on the side. It's not their primary art, but anyone interested in learning the Hawaiian art of dislocation, uh, specifically the Kaivalu family, art um, will be there on Saturday. <laughs> oh, well, well, since you mentioned it, why don't you do a shout-out, since Rusty does it every week, and you're on the, I, I believe you're on the board, or at least a member of uh, Puma, why don't you do a, a shout-out for, for what's coming up for them? Yeah, there is the annual camp that's coming up, and actually I can't remember off the top of my head what date it is, but let me look it up while we're here. Um, there is a camp for just women, so Pacific Association of Women Martial Artists, where I was able to teach for the first time. That's when I received permission to teach the Lua outside of our group was in 2010. Um, and that's when I met a lot of the Dons and Rue system that's in Northern California. They were participants there. And so their camp is coming up, and the date can be found and information. It's still not too late to register. Uh, a group of close to 200 women get together from all the Pacific Northwest and the rest of the nation to learn all different styles. Um, it's action-packed. It's a wonderful weekend of just collaboration and building each other up um, with their fellow women. So it's at www.pawma.org. Oh, very cool. I understand that camp is tremendous. Uh, unfortunately, there there are no men allowed. Uh, fortunately, unfortunately, <laughs> depending on your perspective, because you've got some <laughs> wonderful instructors. We really do. I mean, from from the freakiest weapons to the most traditional to um, you know just the the arts that you don't see as frequently. So really, open expands you know your level of of training and your awareness. Oh, very cool. I got. I just. I told you how respectful those girls are. I just got a, me a message on Facebook. All three of them were sitting around listening to the show and just thanking me profusely. Uh, that's why I, I knew they were going to listen, and that's why I had to apologize, because I know I screwed up her name. Somehow, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like, they know you were talking about them. <laughs> they, they do, and they put it out there. Uh, and that's why Rusty always reads the hard names. Because she she puts the Asian accents on, she does something to make it really cool, and ninety percent of the time she gets it right. Uh huh. Not like this white boy. <laughs> <laughs> and like oh I said you before the show, I am so nervous only because every time Rusty's gone, something goes wrong. Like I can't find some of the music, or else I'd give you this wonderful intro. So why don't you go ahead and read out the uh, the help tips? Well, you're doing great so far, but, you know, everyone listening, I was a little nervous. Sifu Bob called me with less than two minutes before the show started. <laughs> not, not to throw you under the bus, Bob, but uh, I was about to call you. <laughs> okay, well, we're moving on to health tips. And uh, a nip is in the air as summer eases into the fall season. Football season starts, and so does school. The holidays are right around the corner, but so is flu season. So to keep healthy over the next few months, we've got a few tips. Number one, take the tailgate timeout. 
It's an all-American pastime, the tailgate party. Tailgating today has progressed far beyond burgers and chips. You'll find everything from cheese dip to spicy chicken wings. But don't despair. Your tailgate spread does not have to sideline your weight loss or management program. Grilled kebabs are great fare on the field. Just skewer vegetables, fruit, and lean meat and soak in your favorite marinade overnight. There's seafood, salsas, wraps, and stews are also good for eating. And a crock pot of chili loaded with high-fiber, high-protein beans is a classic tailgate dish. But just remember, alcohol is packed with calories. You can enjoy your favorite brew, but switch it out for a zero-calorie beverage as the party rolls along. It's all in how you play the game. Number two, and this is entitled Sleep Tips to Help Kids Wait. But you know what? This actually, I have firsthand knowledge in this. Um, so when I read this, this actually applies for adults as well. Um, did Ooh. your child get enough sleep? If not, it could affect more than sleepiness at school. Studies suggest that there may be a link between skimming on sleep and being overweight. Sleep shortfalls may increase hunger hormones, so kids eat more. Also, kids are less likely to get exercise and burn off calories when they're tired. So to help kids and teens get a good night's sleep, remove TV, computers, and gadgets from kids' rooms. Avoid large meals before bedtime. Develop a regular bedtime routine. Set firm bedtimes and wake times. Make sure the bedroom is dark, quiet, relaxing, or not too hot or cold. Help kids quiet down a few hours before bedtime, and heavy studying, text messaging, or video games should end in the early evening. How much sleep do kids need? It depends on the child, but here are some general guidelines from the National Sleep Foundation. If your child is between the ages of three and five, most likely they'll require 11 to 13 hours of sleep. Between the ages of 5 to 12, they need about 10 to 11 of hours of sleep. Ages 11 to 17 require 9.5 to 9.25 hours. That was backwards. Someone made a typo. <laughs> so we say wow. 9 and a quarter to 9 and a half hours of sleep. Lastly, a health tip would be to quit smoking. You won't gain weight. If you finally decided to kick the habit, there's good news. Quitting smoking won't make you gain weight over the long term. Some people pick up about four to five pounds early on, but that's only temporary. To quit successfully, experts agree, get help and support from your doctor, family, family friends, and coworkers. The doctor or mental health professional can help you tailor an approach that best suits you. There are many FDA-approved medications to help people quit smoking. Combine medication with other quit strategies like avoiding your smoking triggers or changing your daily routine, and you greatly increase your odds of quitting for, for good. Last tip, some foods and drinks make cigarettes taste better. Some make them taste worse. Try eating more vegetables and less meat and swap that coffee or alcohol for a glass of milk. Oh, wow, that's an equivalent, Bob. <laughs> I know, coffee anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, swap it out for a glass of milk. Okay. Anyway, let your taste buds stifle those cravings. So those are our three tips uh, this, this evening on, uh, you know, staying healthy as the uh, fall approaches. And so now well, we yeah. go to weird news. Oh, what were you going to say, Bob? Well, well you, you were talking about kids and their sleep and how much sleep they needed. You remember when, when your daughter was a baby or a toddler? 
How much mm-hmm. food could they actually get? Not that much. Yeah. My daughter didn't require that much. Yeah, I, that seems like excessive, but I know my kids, you know, they're every two hours, they're up. I remember I fell asleep one time on a recliner. It was Christmas Eve. We were putting, you know, we were, we were wrapping presents. And I wake up, it's 4.30 in the morning, I'm on this recliner, I didn't really, I was really disoriented, and I hear this, hi, Daddy. I hear this, hi, Daddy. My son was sitting there at 4.30 in the morning. The only time all year we could get the kids to go to bed on time was Christmas Eve. Right. Oh, and it, it was horrible. So we're going to move on. Weird news. Sound bite I could find. This this is where I believed uh, in uh, corporal punishment a little bit. This happened in Wisconsin. Police arrest a 13 year old for drunk driving. Oh, Not right. only was she underage for driving, she was underage for drinking. So this was in Wisconsin. Uh, man, man, <laughs> I'm not even going to try that. I'm walking back on. Manitowoc? Does that look right to you? Yes, that's correct. Oh, okay, Manitowoc police say an officer making a traffic stop found an intoxicated driver behind the wheel, and she was just 13 years old. They say five other juveniles, 14 and under, were along for the ride. They did not say they had been drinking as well, but I'm, I'm assuming they were. Authorities say the officer stopped the vehicle shortly before midnight Wednesday because its headlights were off. Police Captain Larry Zimney tells WOMT Radio the girl was arrested and later released to her mother. Oh, I would have loved to have been the fly on the wall that time. Police say one of the juvenile passengers was taken to this... Sheboygan County Juvenile Detention Center because a pen, because of a pending court order. Wow. I, as an attorney, what do you think about something like that? Should that kid, like, fry? I didn't lose you, did I? Oh, no, I lost Michelle. Michelle, where are you? Where are you, Michelle? Well, I have to call Michelle back while we're on the air here. I'm dialing right now. Let's bring her back on. Oh, it's starting to ring. You know, I hate that when I'm talking to air. Let's give her some phone answers. Hey. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what, 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 did I, what did I tell you? Rusty, please <laughs> out. I don't know what happened. Oh, my goodness. I was just going to message you. I tried calling you twice. And it just, I was disconnected. So. I'm back. I'm back, everyone. <laughs> well, we missed you, Michelle. Oh, I, right when I was talking to you, I was talking to Eric. Did you hear any, any of the weird news stories? You know, yeah, and I was going to call, I mean, that's just absolutely crazy. I mean, just that five other juveniles that were 14 and under were along for the ride. I mean, where are these parents? How did they get I the know. car? Like, I have, you know, from the legal end, I have so many questions, you know. <laughs> <laughs> How did they get the car? Where were their, exactly, where were their parents? Yes. 
Exactly. I remember one of the worst nights of my life was when I get a call after prom last year. A friend of my son called up and says, can you come get your, you know, he's going to get a ride. And they called me up and said, your son's drunk. And how do I not go into that party, now a supervi- an adult supervised party, and take the father outside and beat his ass? Well, that's the problem. It's the, you know, as long as they do it at home is the way that, you know, a lot of parents see it now, you know. And it's not just their kids. They have other people's kids there. So... That's right. I mean, this uh, is contributing. You can't. We couldn't have gotten for contributing, could we? Because technically, my son was eighteen. Oh, your son was eighteen. Yeah, no. I mean, he's an adult at that point. But I mean, if he's under yeah. eighteen, yeah, it's absolute contribution. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. What am I saying exactly for? You know what the hell you're talking about? I don't. But even though, I mean, he's not 20, well, he's not 21, Bob, so there's some issues there. Even though he's an adult, he can't legally drink. You know what I mean? If he can't buy it for himself, then really he, they should be somewhat liable for that contribution of That's alcohol. Right. Absolutely. I, I almost, I, I was furious. I, I wasn't as furious as if somebody that had been drinking drove him home. That would have sent yeah. me over the edge. Uh, now I've got another one that's really, that's really interesting. This is uh, on the entertainment side. Uh, Kendall Jenner, you 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 know who Kendall Jenner is? She's you know Bruce Jenner's daughter, Kim Kardashian's sister, that sort of thing. Well, mm-hmm. she was, and I'm searching here, but she she actually threw money and threatened to sue a waitress for accusing her of walking out on her task. And many many people witnessed the fact that she walked out the door without paying for anything, and she was with uh, one of the Baldwin's daughters, right? One of the unknown ones, like David or, or there's so many of them who can keep track of them. And she actually <laughs> walked out. <laughs> she came back in. They they brought her back in almost, and she threw enough at, at the waitress, and then she and th- this girl actually got her attorney involved. <sighs> and this, this attorney tried to turn it around on the waitress. You know, and this is what kills me is this attorney wasn't there. Believe their client one hundred percent because this waitress was telling the media. She the the attorney told mentioned to the media that this woman was just trying to get press for herself and she is fabricating the truth. Oh boy. I'm like Are you absolutely kidding me? This was this this was insane. And with that, as soon as I find it, Rusty, you know what? Rusty does this every week, and I, I love her. And at one time, you know, she used to do two weeks. And I'm looking for the break here because this thing's just... <laughs> and I found it. After this short break, this short break is going to be three minutes and three seconds, we're going to come off live with Frank Dukes. So hang in there. We'll be back at 3 and 3. Today in school, I learned a lot. In chemistry, <coughs> I learned that no one likes me. In English, I learned that I'm disgusting. And in physics, I learned that I'm a loser. Today in school, I learned that I'm ugly and useless. And in gym, I learned that I'm pathetic and a joke. In history, I learned that I'm trapped. Today in school, I learned that I have no friends. In, in English, I learned that I make people sick. 
And at lunch, I learned that I sit on my own because I smell. In chemistry, I learned that no one likes In biology, I learned that I'm fat and stupid. And in math, I learned that I'm trash. The only thing I didn't learn in school today... The only thing I didn't learn today... The only thing I didn't learn... ...is why no one ever helps. Kids witness bullying every day. They want to help, but they don't know how. Teach them how to stop bullying and be more than a bystander at stopbullying.gov. A message from the ad This is Namdi Asamoah. I play football for the Philadelphia Eagles, but what I do off the field with United Way might be more important. I'm a volunteer tutor and mentor. Why? Because over a million kids a year drop out of school, and that's not okay. It takes 12 years to create a graduate, but it takes about the same time to create a dropout. And the difference between a child becoming one or the other could be me, or it could be you. Studies show that if we get to these kids earlier, their chances are better. And kids who read well by third grade are more likely to graduate. So join me in United Way. Suit up and take the pledge. Become a volunteer reader, tutor, or mentor. Because when a child succeeds, we all succeed. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Take the pledge at unitedway.org. Brought to you by United Way, the Ad Council, and the National Football League. In 50 Hello? feet, turn left. Why are you driving so slowly? After a few drinks, I'm taking it slow. Well, you're not fooling the cop behind you. What? Get ready to pay in .1 miles. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. And now, on with the show. And I am here with my guest, uh, with my guest co-host Michelle Manu, and uh, uh, I. We are joined by. Oh, I lost Michelle again. Frank, are you there? Okay. Apparently. I have lost Frank Dukes. Let's try that again. Please leave your message for 21082. You know what's so funny, listeners? This is absolutely insane. Every time that Rusty goes out of town, something happens. Every time. Frank, are you with us? I'm with you, buddy. How you doing? Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it, it went straight to voicemail the second time I called. I'm starting to freak out here. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> Michelle will call back. Actually, we have a caller that's calling in right now that has been trying to get a hold of you. Do you mind if we take a call off the bat? Sure. Give me a caller right off the bat. 
Caller from area code 224, you are live on the air with the Hanshi Frank Dukes. Do you have a glance for, for a Hanshi? Shidoshi, this is Greg Wooldridge out in Chicago. Just uh, paying my respects to, uh, to, uh, to a legend and somebody I've always looked up to with uh, high intensity. Great, to, great to, to, to visit with you here. Uh, it's great hearing from you, Greg. I, I, I was watching your Facebook. I understand you're in Brazil and, and, and really perfecting your jiu-jitsu. I, I really admire that. Oh, say no. Brazil was fabulous, and uh level of talent was unbelievable. I just I was humbled to, to be able to go share. It was fabulous. Yeah, I, I, in fact, it reminds me, what you're going through reminds me of when I uh, – something that really put me on the path. And that was, uh, I, I saw uh, Victor Moore in 19 was a kid looked to me like he defeated, uh, Chuck Norris. He actually hit him and knocked him down. And what? Oh. I'm getting a call in there. <laughs> anyway. There we go. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So anyways, um, so he, he actually, uh, knocked down Chuck Norris in, in a match, and but Point, I guess, went to Chuck, and Chuck ended up winning it. And he came back to Victor Moore, and he wrote in there to be the best. He wrote on a program, you know, to Victor Moore, who beat me. And I walked up to the 11 years old and said, yeah, why do you do that? And he said, well, to be the best, you got to fight the best. And he wants to make sure I'm, I'm back here to yeah. give him a challenge. And, and, that, and that really encapsulates the martial spirit. You know, it's not about about really winning or losing, it's, it's, it's a journey. And along the way, we're all going to lose matches, and along the way, we're, all, we're, we're going to have wins in our life. And it teaches us that. It teaches us how to do with our wins and our losses. And, and uh, given the state of affairs of martial arts today, it's sort of like now everybody wins and everybody, you know, it's sort of like you're robbing people of that knowledge and that experience. But, so I'm really glad to see that you uh, went on that path, and Greg, and, and, and you're following that path and not taking well, the easy route. Well, you know, thank you, Shidoshi. You know, you've set an example for a lot of people, for a lot of uh, us coming up underneath you to uh, want to improve and, and to try to find the best in ourselves. And if anything, if, uh, you know, the touch and scope that you have to reach so many people, to have so many people love and adore you as much as they do that takes a special a special person and uh you know i'm i'm humbled because i just think that you're uh, a fabulous artist a fabulous man and uh one hell of a master there's just no no you're you're the top of the notch shidoshi well thank you I, I really appreciate that craig i really appreciate that and uh especially coming from someone like yourself i mean you have a police background you've worked on for those who don't know greg i, I suggest they, they look you up and uh um, I really appreciate hearing that from, from your generation and a, a fighter because you, you guys really, you inspire me in, in many ways. Uh, I see the dedication and the, the amount of science that's improved in, as far as the kinesiology and, and our nutrition and everything else and how guys like you are, are on it. And that, that's just uh, amazing to me. It's a whole new breed of, of fighter that we're seeing today. Mm. Absolutely, but you know what's interesting, uh, interesting to me, Shidoshi, is that you know what what's important now is still what is always important, which is just dedication to the craft, and being humble enough to know that you you always have to be a student, and and never forgetting what it means to be a student, you know. So yeah. you know, for me, you know, I I was fortunate uh, to 
to have a chance to to come up under and, and get to know fabulous masters, certain masters like yourself, because there aren't a lot. I mean, the truth is, especially today, Shidoshi, you know, movies and television is so much. I mean, your background, if, if the viewers really knew, you know, half of what, you, what you've really done, they would just say, oh, my God, it's, you know, that's an incredible uh, legacy, you know. But today it's, Thank you. you know, every, every corner there's a, a dojo. There's a new Mick Dojo, you know, buy your belt in, the, in a year and a half. You know, it just seems yeah. like that old, that traditional legacy of really putting in the work and earning that, that process and earning your rank and, and learning what that means is kind of getting harder to find those quality those quality people now, and it's sometimes a little little saddening to me. But you know, we just keep on stroking. Yeah, well, I think it's sad for the industry as a whole, but it's actually kind of a good filter, and I'll tell you why. Because those people who want the easy way and are are going to go the easy route, let them because the guys who really want to go the hard hardcore, who really want to put in the time, earn an honor rank. They're going to find the real masters. They're going to go on a journey, and then and that gives the real master to see that person coming through the door, and really put their time in that person versus the one who's looking for the easy route. Us, us, you know, and that's what sep- separates things. I mean, it's the difference between the theoretical and the reality. And I used to have a saying in my schools: "Keep it real." Which you know, I've had many guys walk through my doors with black belts on and wanting to work at my black belt class. And I'm not doing this from a boasting point of view, but they were not prepared. They were just basically not prepared. And that, and some have never been hit before in their life. And uh, several were champions. And I had to turn around and you know, point champions. I said, well, this is a whole different game. This is a whole different – you're comparing apples and oranges. You, you just don't understand. Why don't you start with my white belts and work the yellow belts? And if you feel you're physically up to the task, I'm happy to move you along. But I don't want to shortchange you. And uh, I know one, you know, Valley of the Champion uh, became one of my best black clothes, Sky Benson. I mean, he, he'll tell you, he walked in and he, and he crawled out of my dojo, literally crawled out crying. His bubble was burst, but he was, he was given a whole dose of reality. You know, when you take it to the next mm-hmm. level, things break down. And uh, like I said, there's a difference between theoretical and, and actually applying things and practical and, one of the things is, you know, Greg, in my schools, I, mean, I was one of the first people who introduced uh, trauma conditioning uh, to training, you know, that it's not enough that you know how to throw a punch. You have to know how to take a punch. You have to know how to roll off a punch. And you have to build your body so it's used to shock from, a, from whether it's a hard throw to, to, to getting clocked. Uh, two years ago I gave a demonstration where I had somebody kick me full, you know, uh, professional fighter kicking with a spinning heel kick straight to, to, to my head, my right side of my head, to prove a point that if you know how to roll with the punch, you can lessen it and you can take it. And everybody thought, oh, that was going to get killed, but I didn't tell anybody what was going to do ahead of time. I just kept yelling at the guy, no, faster, 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 give him your all. And then I stepped into it and just to prove my point of how this is what I call a triangle of force, and if you take away the triangle of force, you're okay. And that's that's an important part of learning as well, and it teaches you how to like. It teaches it. It becomes a parable for how you live your life. We're all going to have really hard knocks in our life. If you're really a person of character, you're always going to have controversy in your life. You're always going to have people wanting to hurt you in your life. 
and you've got to be prepared for that that conflict. You've got to be prepared to to get hit, as I say, and it can be in a number of different ways in how to roll with that, how to not not give into it, uh, how to make it work for you. And you can do that on a physical plane, and you can learn to do that on an emotional plane, and you can learn to do that on a spiritual plane. And that's what martial arts is really about, is harmonizing all those three planes. So you can do it on all those levels. And that's, Amen. that's, a, that's a really Amen. important concept that people... Well, you know, you know, it's interesting, you know, and like always, uh, speaking, getting a chance to speak with you is always a learning process for me, as it is for all of us, because, you know, you learn if you're... You know, if you're out there in the real world, if you're bouncing bars or you're copping in the streets or you're in the military or you're bodyguarding in certain environments, the psychology is what it's about. And it's not about the pretty technique and, you know, uh, the fancy, the fancy uh, fluff. It really comes down to what, you, what you're talking about, your ability to take the pain and to absorb that, turn that negative into a positive and, and uh put that back out in a powerful manner. And, you know, it, it's, there is no short, easy way to get there. And, you know, you're right, Shidoshi, that you talk to the youngsters today and you just want to sometimes just slow them down and say, listen, you know, don't forget where we come from. Don't forget how we got here. And, but today, you know, the hard way is going by the wayside. So, you know, that's one of the reasons I love you and, and, and the generation as I do, because you keep it real. You keep all of us accountable. You know, you say what needs to be said. You lead by example. And, you know, the the warriors in the real world, sometimes we go through issues that really are hard to shake. And that's another side to the to the warrior life that, that people don't realize exists, is that, you know, we're trained to use force, but very few of us are trained to deal with the aftermath psychologically of killing or of inflicting hard violence and living in violence every day, if that's what your job and your life is. And so, you know, that's something as an instructor that, uh, that you've always been very aware of, which is the, the psychological ramifications of conflict and, um, and how that ties to the implementation of technique and how, that plays back and how we live with what we've done, you know? So I just think that the total package that we should be trying to bring, I think, you know, the years, I've known you for some years now, Shidoshi, and you have always, always been about that totality, about being, being yep. all around warrior and, and, uh, you know, don't take yourself for granted because there's always somebody better out there. There's always somebody, you know, nobody's perfect, you know? So, you know, I just think that it's a lesson. I hope everybody's listening to you because, you know, it's a real treat to get a chance to, to, to hear a master of your caliber and your experience uh, share uh, what you're sharing because you have a history that very few people have. And that's not a joke and that's not movie. That's real. And I, I just hope people realize it and get a chance to, to get to know you as I have, because you truly have blessed me, Shidoshi, and I'm really proud to be one of your students. I'm humbled. Well, um, I thank you for those kind words. It's, I, I don't know what to... Um, you know, Tennyson said, you know, like a dog, he hunts in, in dreams, and he was talking about the universal warrior nightmare, which you're talking about. And 
I, 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 I'm, people think that it only relates to martial arts. And one of the saddest things, you know, I do, I do a lot of work. I use my experience of martial arts in the real world. I go beyond, as you know, um, just teaching in, in dojos. I, I actually work with task forces around the world. In, in fact, I have on the phone right now uh, uh, an amazing woman. Her name is Dottie Lassiter for, for guests. Uh, Dottie, uh, I, I, why don't you introduce yourself, Dottie, to the, the people and tell, tell them a little bit about you. Well, thank you. I'm so honored to be here. And uh, I work on the issue of human trafficking, most uh, often in the United States. And, well, and the reason I, one of the things that Dottie and you were talking about, and, and it's really important to keep in mind, is, is the fact that the post-traumatic stress syndrome, we were talking about how many people come out of this, these experiences who are victims and they refuse to get help and, and they end up consumed by it. And part of being a warrior is to, to, again, learn how to take those hits. And you can't do it sometimes by yourself. You need instruction in it, you know. And so I think that's an important concept that I think a lot of people have have taken, uh, um, you know, lost sight of, if you will. They they, they want the the glory of of fighting, but they don't want to endure the pain that comes with it. If that's right. Yeah. And so, you know, the pain that gives you the game. And that's that's the whole thing. If, you, if people were willing to work on themselves, admit, hey, I got a problem, PTSD kind of problem, whatever that is, and that's post-traumatic stress syndrome. You know, it's part of warriorship. You have to learn how to deal with that, and that goes right back to the basic principle of trauma conditioning. Trauma not only for the for the the body, but also for emotionally and spiritually that you have to learn to deal with and how how to how to make that work in your favor. Us. Uh, and those are important components. I mean, Dottie, maybe, can you share like a story of like maybe one of what you've seen? I mean, you know, Dottie goes out and literally to ha- with a task force goes and gets these girls who are brainwashed essentially into the sex trade and actually pulls them out for their families. I worked with the FBI for a number of years. And, and so, uh, Dottie, I mean, talk about a little bit maybe about what we're doing tomorrow and what, what's going on and maybe you can give them an idea. Sure. Um, I have cases that are going on all the time, and one one specific we're working on now, where we have to go in and and um, convince someone who's been brainwashed and give them the information that they don't have. Um, you know, the victims always have just half the picture, and uh, we've been successful in delivering the the reality of what's going on. And so she's going through some trauma right now because her world has been shattered and everything she believed in was twisted up into a pretzel. And then the the second part of what we do is with my team, we're going to go find and locate the bad guy and explain to him that a lot of people care about this young lady, and if he makes contact again, he's going to lose some skin. And that means not, not so much physically as well. It's more like... Um, we're on to what he's doing. We know all his associates, and we're going to make life really miserable if he continues to pursue this innocent uh, victim. And, you know, some of these cases don't resolve quickly. They take a long time. Sometimes we have some losses. More times we have wins than losses. But that's part of what Frank's talking about with taking a risk, uh, taking a hit, 
dealing with the trauma that comes with a non-perfect world full of um, lots of evildoers who mean us and other people a lot of harm. And, and we take care of ourselves as a team, especially if we, we don't get a good resolution. It does hurt us. Yeah, and, and that's real martial arts in my mind. It's taking the skills but also applying them. It's nice to be theoretical and practice in the dojo and know that. But what are you doing with those skills? How are you making it count in your society or your work? And that doesn't mean you have to go out and do, engage in, like, what I'm doing, fighting human trafficking, for example. What it really means is, and, and I want to say that Dottie does things all over the world, but it, what it really comes down to is being in the, running a dojo is just as important, um, not even being in a dojo, but actually sharing your knowledge, being willing to share your knowledge and be a mentor for somebody else. That's important. That's that's being a warrior. The whole idea of being a warrior, in my mind, is being willing to serve and sacrifice the benefits of your life for the benefit of your of your community, your family, and taking care of them first and foremost. That's that's what true warriorship, in my mind, is. And you do it in a not in a barbaric fashion, but a code of honor with a, a rules of engagement, um, and you and you have a certain set of terms in your life that just are not compromisable. Just, there's just no compromise for them. We have a code of ethics. That's what we may strive to be, but obviously we can't always live up to our code of ethics. And that's the difference between living by terms and, and a code of ethics in life. Some people only live by terms, some people, and don't grow. Some people, all they have is a code of ethics, but they always fall short, and they, and they don't know themselves as, as far as terms go. What is it they're willing to do and what are they not willing to do? And you see this in a lot of relationships. I'll give you a good example of that. A guy will sell out his own terms when he's in love with a girl. And when that relationship ends, the amount of pain that person experiences in the breakup is usually equivalent to them selling out their, their, their terms. And that takes it a long time for people like to get over a really bad relationship. Whereas you see other people, it doesn't take that long. A true warrior, he's always true to himself. That's why he's able to deal with a lot of loss. That's why he's able to deal with losing friends, because he's there in the fight for the right reason. He knows why he's doing what he's doing, and he just accepts what's going on. But if he's there for the wrong reason, and he takes a loss, including, like, lose a limb or lose your health, like I did in, in many ways. I've been, you know, I, I'm not in the perfect health that I was when I was a young man because of what I've had to endure in my life but I don't regret a, a single part of it because I always knew I was doing it with the, with the right intent and purpose, the right spiritual purpose. So for me, I don't have that anguish. Someone who walked in, like you saw in the Vietnam War, where, there's, where a lot of guys were confused about that, that's why you see them taking their own lives. You see veterans returning from Iraq today taking their own lives, more than those that were killed in combat. And the reason for that, again, is they don't understand how to, to understand and see that they had a purpose in what they were doing and what the nobility was in what they were doing. So they internalized yeah. a lot of that. You know, and that's you part know. of martial arts, is understanding how to deal with that, how to how to wrestle that dragon, if you will. Well, you know, sometimes, you know, we don't see the forest through the trees when you're immersed. You know, one of the things that, and I can't speak for others, but for my, the years I spent in the warrior game was the one thing I always had was my sense of being a bit invulnerable. I mean, I was, in my mind, um, there was an ideal that I could handle anything, deal with anything. The reality was different. 
the truth of things was different. And when those two ran head-to-head in conflict, trauma began, issues began. And what happens is we tend not to want to be honest about these things. We tend not to want to acknowledge that we're having problems. And unfortunately, our resulting effort is that we don't talk about it. We choke it down. We keep going into more violent scenarios. We keep choking it down. And the problem is, it is you know, it's like acid that eats its own container. That if you don't find a way, if you, we don't help people to find a way to vent that, then it's going to find a negative vent. And but believe it, it will find a vent one way or the other, either positive mm-hmm. or negative. You know, Shidoshi, uh, on Tuesday I start my master's degree program for uh, clinical psychology and focus on counseling for this very issue. I'm going back to school for my master's degree for counseling for post-traumatic stress-related issues. It's just funny that we're talking about it. And uh, on Tuesday, I begin I actually begin the, the graduate program. And, you know, the idea is how do we help people to deal with the duality that they're faced with? Having to walk into a world every day where they have to process fear, they have to manage their state. Yet the other side of it is that they're human. They're seeing things and doing things that truthfully people aren't really meant to have to see. Seeing children and people uh, torn apart or having to shoot and kill, having to do the things, it's hard to reconcile both sides of our of who we are. And well, you know, so how, yeah, so how do we build how do we help people to find a way to voice that, to understand, one, that they're not alone, and, two, that what they're feeling is natural and not to run from it, not to be afraid of it, but you have to find a way to embrace it. And I think that begins, Shidoshi and everybody, that in the dojo we teach people how to punch and kick and deal with a knife and deal with a gun, but we should be talking to them in the same, in the same environment about the aftermath of conflict. You know, well, the here, here not, Greg, I got to stop. I got to stop you here. Yeah. And I'll tell you why. This is where I feel this is what def- really def- determines the difference between guys who say they're masters and are masters. A true master will understand how to deal with that, and he'll, he doesn't need to be told to do that. He knows that that's part of the learning process, and it has to be learned. And they do that. There's an excellent uh, gentleman who I got to know this weekend, and and that's Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman, and uh, On the Colonel was like. Yeah, he, he wrote the book On Killing and, 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 and On Combat. And I re- highly recommend getting the book On Combat. For anybody who's doing martial arts, I would, say, I would just say it's a mandatory read, you know. Um, you know, it, it, it really explains, like, for example, he, he explains many issues that are just uh, – that deal with um, the evolution of combat and, and, and domestic violent crime, you know. Um, he, he even goes into as far as far as actually citing brain brain scan research, um, in how violent video games. I mean, watching an action movie, um, how that affects people. You know, it really does change the the brain chemistry. And and the and when you're dealing with people like children, for example, who don't have cognitive skills to tell the difference between what's real and what's not real. Um, they grow up with that, and they grow up with it, and, and you're seeing a whole new age of violence today. 
And there's the research proves that it's there. But it really only happens in first-person shooters. That's the interesting thing of the, of the research. Um, but, you know, there's, there's a, you know, Muhammad Ali, you know, he was rather interesting also because when, when you're talking about killing, okay, that you, you really have to make a decision, right? You know? Yes. You know, but, you know, and one of the things that worked for me is, is I would, you know, if, when it came to that thing, and I tell vets and, and think about it, it says, okay, you killed someone, but did someone live as a result of that? And it's a trade-off. And if you're able to see that, it, you can live with that. And, you know, like I was talking about Muhammad Ali, he understood that. I mean, he, and he, I want to read to you something that, that, that uh, Muhammad Ali said, and he said, so champions aren't made in the gym. Champions are made from something they have deep inside them, a desire, a dream, a vision. They have to have a last-minute stamina. They have to be a little faster. They have to have the skill and the will, but the will must be, must be stronger than the skill. And that oh, okay. really comes down to will, our choices. And that's why you see human trafficking what do they do? What's the first thing a trafficker does? He breaks a person's will without them knowing. Before they know it, they're coerced. And that's what really goes on. And we're seeing such a high, a higher statistical, you know, higher rate of incidence of where this is going. And you're seeing, if you look on the news, I mean, look at what's going on in Iraq. I mean, we're talking genocide here. And people are, like, numb to it because they've actually, the will has been changed. Our sense of purpose has changed. We have a sense of, of, of tolerance for allowing that to happen. Oh, it's not my problem. People are shirking their responsibility as a society. I remember years ago, you know, you know they, if wars were fought over just the simplest of issues like this, now you're seeing it a massive scale, and people aren't talking about it. And it's selective reporting on the part of the media, you know, everybody's beating up Israel on, on defending itself from these rocket attacks in Gaza. Well, okay, what would you do? That's my answer to them. All right, they're sh shelling rockets on New York. What would you do? What would, would you expect us to do? Just stand there and let nothing happen and continue until they finally keep getting through? Of course you're going to defend yourself. But more importantly now, where's the hypocrisy in this? Hypocrisy is how about the 170,000 women and children that are being kill, killed in Syria? alone and we don't even know how many hundreds of thousands in different parts of the world that where this is going on continually versus like only 2000 and God, why aren't you protesting that? Why do they, aren't there, don't, don't those lives rate is equal or more. And, and that's what it really comes down to. And so as martial artists and true martial artists, I mean, you have to be prepared for any uh, uh, eventuality and it really comes down to your will. You can because you only can train skills so far. You only can take yourself so far. Because we don't know what's around the corner. Sometimes we just caught by surprise. Yes. And the only thing that's going to get us through it is, 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 is through will. I've got to interrupt you, and I want to bring on somebody else that wants to uh -huh. join the conversation. Uh, Anji Dan, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. This is a great conversation. Uh, I, I hey, want to uh, congratulate another warrior scholar coming into the fold, Greg. It's uh, it's 
it is about time that you jumped in the scholarship. You've been there <laughs> dancing around the sides for a while. I'm glad you're jumping in. Thank you. Thank you, Hashi. I appreciate that. Where, where, I'm going to change the topic just for a second. Where are you going to school? It's at University of Phoenix. Outstanding. I did my undergrad there. I loved it. Actually, yeah. I, I want to tell you a secret. I worked ten times harder at Phoenix than I did at USC. The hardest part of USC was getting in. So I'm hearing you get everybody. Yeah, Phoenix is a great, great school. Unbelievable school. I, I'm I'm proud to be an alumnus. So uh, I, I've heard I've heard a lot of this conversation. I just jumped on. I got I, speaking of that. I just did my final for. Uh, my research and theory class uh, at Argosy University for my doctorate. So uh, that's the reason I'm a little bit late. But um, I wanted to jump on and talk to uh, talk about the topic. I mean, warriorism, uh, Frank, what you're talking about with the human trafficking, it, it has never been so relevant than now. The, and it's finally we have, a, we have a, a lens on this. We're starting to see it um, differently in the martial arts community, in, in community before these these people were forgotten, forgotten. They're just forgotten. They were society's uh, hidden secret, and now we see it all over the world, including the United States. People are just snatched up and forced into prostitution. Oh yeah, and, and, and like I say, the one thing they break is your will. That's why one of the things you can do, best do to protect yourself or even people in communities is first work on the will, first build up the spirit. You know. I was saying the first thing isn't mind, body, spirit. It's spirit, mind, body. That's the order that it really should be. You focus on the spirit. You, you give someone an, an indelible spirit, then you educate them because they'll have the desire to be educated, and then the physical will just happen on its own. It will start because the mind and the mental will know what it needs to do. Yes. You know, and and, and and then you and then that's how you get the best the best fighters. You know. Whereas a lot of guys, they get they get on the they start with the academic side of it, but they don't have the spirit to to take them to go do something, so they just get stuck on the internet. They're they're they're, they're your internet warrior culture, if you know what I mean. As opposed to really getting out there and doing, it. and that's because they lack a, they lack spirit. Because somebody who's a real warrior, he's not on the internet. No offense, he's he's he is out there in the gym working at it every day. He's in a college studying courses every day. You see my point? Yes. Right. So, Absolutely. You know, well, you know, there's you know. there's a lot there's a lot to be said for you know, being fortunate enough to have the right resources at your disposal maybe to be able to assist you. You know, I gotta give a special thanks to Hunch Dan Heck. You know, he kinda was there for me through a hard time. I know you know, you remember that, Hanchi. Uh you know, I went yeah. through some things. And, you know, the price of the war, but I had a resource base, including yeah. Dan Hecht, who reached out and saw it and gave a a platform for me to slow the roll down mm-hmm. and to get in touch. I couldn't do it alone, and I wasn't talking to strangers. I couldn't talk to an outsider yeah. who'd never been with his life on the line. He never inflicted injury to others or well, felt let me Let me interrupt you real quick, yeah. Greg. I think it's so important to do what we're doing. That warrior scholar thing, I'm, I'm telling you, that's a term I quoted in one of my research papers. And, mm. you know, you know, I've, I've been, I'm still, look, I'm, I, I'm a sixth class away from a doctor, 
right, I'm still looked at as great class in case of emergency. They don't use me for anything other than, okay, we need to, we need to take that hill, get Dan and his crew. Now, with that warrior scholar mentality, we need to promote people like you, like me, like Frank, like Robert Parham. They're all getting, you know, they're all academics, right? We are warriors still. We're warriors first and foremost. So when someone comes to you that maybe is having PSD, they're not talking, and and I love my daughter to death. She's got a master's in social work, but she has no idea. I mean, she's got all the degrees in the world. She has no idea what you went through. She can't relate. You with a master's master's in social work or master's in psychology, you know, you can say, hey, wait a minute, guy. I know where you're at. I was there. Let me share with you what I went through and how I got through it, and maybe I can help you get through this. This is not theory. This is practical application and how a warrior is going to get through this and come out on the other side. So, yes. you know, that, that, whole, that whole talk, it took me a couple of years to get here, but I am so glad you did. You know, we, we, you talked about law school, which I, well, I fully supported. But I think that your position as a counselor, you know, you're not, you're not in it for the money. We're not, we're, you know, neither yes. one of us are. It, Absolutely. It, it is, it's more about doing something that is going to raise the level for the warrior community. And, brother, you're doing it. So, uh, you know, you've got three years of very, very challenging work ahead of you. Um, I'm here for you. You know, I'm here for you. And, and the, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, proud, I'm proud to say that you're going to be another warrior scholar in our, in our community. So well, thank I think you I'm going to start much. a warrior scholars association. Well, I think I honestly think in order to be a really a master, you have to be a scholar. I mean, how could you You not? You know, and I'm seeing so many guys running around, and they you can ask them some simple questions, and they they just go, "Huh, what?" And and I got to say, the one thing I really love about you, Dan, what you did, you did. I was at your master's event, and you really bring real talent and recognize real guys from those who are trying to. Who, who think they know what they're supposed to know, but don't, you know, it gives them an opportunity to meet and, and, and uplift the meet in a certain social environment, meet um, people operating at a very high level. And it gives these people an idea of like an example, like, wait a minute, I, I'm not really where I need to be. I need to be moving to this level. And it brings them up. And that's what I really love about about what well, you, thank what you, you do your, your that's master's part of the goal. That's part of the yeah, goal of the whole thing, is recognize that. Yeah. And it isn't the yeah. guy on, on TV. You know, I, I love all, all, you know, I have many friends that are actors and actresses, many of them, and they love. And I love to have them at the Master's Hall of Fame, and they've done great things in the martial arts community. But the people that are in the community centers, the people that are have their dojos that are running seven days a week, uh, just barely keeping their schools open, those are just as worthy of recognition as someone that has, you know, a movie on the silver screen. So, uh, and I agree. We, we definitely need to promote uh, more martial artists and give them other tools. One of the things I like about what we're doing, in, like what uh, uh, Robert Parham's doing, myself, and now Greg, because most of the martial artists I know are very quick. You know, we train to fight. So they're very quick to find the fight. They're very quick. They can, they can find conflict anywhere you want. And, they, and they'll, they'll champion that cause. However, the, the, 
the rounded martial artist is not the martial artist that looks for the biggest stick. The rounded martial yeah. artist looks for the win, the win for both. Okay, you know, if I've got to go to battle, I'm I'm comfortable with that. I I'm comfortable in any situation I'm in because I I have been through many, and I. You know, I've had my nose bloodied with the best of them, but I'm still standing. Same thing with Frank. Same thing with Greg. Same thing with Robert Parham. Okay? But Good. we are no longer the martial artist that stands in front shaking our fist at the win. We don't do that anymore. We find ways to win. And the win may be to step aside. The win may be to help that person see the air of their way instead of pounding that person into seeing the air of their way. So, you know, and I think that comes with true leadership, true mentorship, and true warriorship. All, all those combined. Just because you can fight doesn't mean you're a warrior. So Exactly. And, and that's, that's, that's exactly the right. difference. There's a difference between being a, 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 what I consider a warrior from a, a barbarian or a berserker. Right. And, and, a, sport, right. and, a, sports, and a sportsman. There's a lot of guys who can fight, but all they are is sportsmen. They're not warriors. Okay, a warrior again it has to do with a certain set of code of honor, having terms, and being willing to sacrifice for your community, your family, and others before you. That's that's what defines a warrior. When you go to war, you walk out knowing you may not come back. Yeah, you may not come back alive. You may not come back whole. Uh, and I, I don't know anybody who's gone to back who's gone to war who comes back whole. I mean. Um, you know, one of my recurring nightmares, for example, is is lying there and thinking, you know, my gun's not going to fire. Now, I'm not in war anymore. I come back, and it's like, but I have that nightmare. I'm, I'm in danger, and, and I have a weapon, and I can't get that weapon to, to work, you know? And it's, and it's kind of a universal nightmare for anybody who's been, been in a combat situation. And, again, because I... I've got good support around me. When I wake up, I'm I'm okay. I know how to make bring myself down from that 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 kind of position. And part of that again is like, yeah, I did certain things, but I because it will live. And because you follow that same theme, there's there's a very famous story where where there was a man on a on a on a train with this young student, and on a, 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 a this guy stepped on the train, and he was drunk. He was obviously drunk. And he was had a lot of swagger, and he looked around, and there was this woman with her shopping cart. There was a woman with a baby. And there was this, again, this, this old master with his student. And the drunk, of course, starts to pick on the weakest of the bunch. And he goes after the woman with the baby, and he's talking threateningly. And, and the, the student is getting more angry and more angry seeing this guy doing what he's doing. He's outraged. And at the next stop, the woman with the baby gets off and waits for the next train. He then goes after the person with the shopping bags, and he starts kicking the shopping bags, trying to elicit a fight. And again, that person gets off the train. Finally, the student's looking at him eagerly, says, I can't wait to smack this Cecil because I know he's coming to me next. And he's getting ready to do it. And, of course, the guy walks up to him and starts to antagonize him. And he's about to launch onto the guy when the old master steps in the way, puts his hand on his chest, says, just wait a minute, just, just come down. Just, just, be, I noticed you've been drinking a lot tonight. 
goes, yeah, yeah, I'm drinking a lot. He says, um, this is, uh, this is, what do you like to drink? I drink this and this. So I, I like to have scotch too. And I sit down with my wife under the cherry blossom tree every night. We have a little nightcap. And he starts talking. Do you have a family? Do you have, do you have, you know, you know, and starts asking the man about his wife. Well, what happens is that man breaks down crying because what had happened and the reason he was doing what he was doing is he was looking to be punished. He was looking for someone to beat him up. He was looking to be humiliated because he had lost his family in a car accident where he was drunk and he couldn't forgive himself for what had happened. So sometimes we think we're doing the right thing, but we're really being a vehicle for something that's not right. And being a true martial artist, the master found out what the motivation was. What is the dynamic driving this? So, and let's eliminate that first, and then we can deal with the, the violence later. It's like a step of last resort. And, and we need to be, be looking that way. And then, of course, there's a, there's a, there was a mutual benefit at the end of the night, the, man, the master. And this is a true story, by the way. Um, had the guy, they were crying, he was crying, he got him help. And they became like the best of friends years later. And the, and the young boy who wanted to fight, when he needed to go to college, it was that drunk who put him in college and actually became like a surrogate father for him. This Amazing. Is, this is how, this wow. is how life can turn out for you. Yeah, indeed. And, and this is why I try to encourage young martial artists. You, you know, you got to put violence in its proper perspective. If, you, if you're just going to worship it, like with these wild video games, then you're, you're going to kill blatantly. You're not going to ask the right questions. And that's what I love about the dojo atmosphere. It gives us an opportunity as a martial artist, okay? It gives me an opportunity to actually touch another person. And I can do it in a, in a way that inflicts pain, or I can do it in a way that encourages them and puts a pat on their back and say, hey, you did really good. And for some kids, a lot of kids, that, that changes their entire life. And I've changed many men's lives, and I know that because years later they'll call me, they'll tell me, you know, you put me on the path, I'm this way, I wouldn't have been a doctor today, I wouldn't have been an educator, I took a lot of kids out of, out of, out of games. I mean, after Bloodsport, I had a choice. My choice was I could go into Beverly Hills and have plenty of guys willing to back me, and I could do the DVD thing, and I could do the whole commercial thing and been a very – successful commercial su success. And then I had another choice, and that is to remember my past. And my past was I had nothing, came up with nothing. I had to struggle just to eat. I know days when I went without food. I, I ended up in martial arts because I couldn't afford cleats to play sports. And I saw the martial artists, they, they practiced without shoes on, so I knew I could do that sport. And I just chose that I want to help that kid the kid that was me. I want to go back in that community. So I opened up in, in, a, in poor areas of town, like North Hollywood. That time was not a good neighborhood. Now it's an up-and-coming, you know, urban center going through gentrification. But back in those days, when you had boarded up stores, it was at the high, one of the highest crime rates in, in, in America. It, had, it was the actual homicide capital of the United States. And I opened my school there. And, and I reached out to kids and put them on the right path. And like I said... There's nothing more satisfying to me because you can have a big house, you can have all those things. And happiness isn't measured by what you have. It's really, if you want to be happy in life, you, you, you find out what your, what, your, what your higher purpose is and go work towards filling it. Mm -hmm. That's the lesson we can teach people as a martial arts. And that's the beauty of martial arts. It, when we do it, hey, guy could be a billionaire 
doesn't make him a better guy than the guy who's in the dojo. Because there, you're, you're judged on your merits. There, you right. go out in the ring, it's just you and the other guy. There's no team, there's no this. It's just you and the other guy. It's you against what your adversity is standing in front of you. And it teaches you so many lessons in life. And we have to remind ourselves as martial artists, as human beings, what that is. And we have to take those skills and apply it elsewhere. Like I said, to the spirit side. I take that and I try to use those lessons to help, you know, and Dottie does too. She she goes in there and teaches these girls, hey, your spirit's been broken. Let's break, you know, let's, this is what's going on. And open their eyes up to things and, and put them back on the right path. And and that's and that's an important part of us as human beings because when we leave this world, what are you going to leave with? You can't leave with your Rolls Royce. You can't leave with your, your, your Rolex watch. And you can't leave with the best-looking woman on your arm. I doubt if she'd want to go. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> so, so, yeah, I wouldn't. What are you Definitely not. <laughs> I know that giggle. Is that Michelle yeah. back there? Hi, that Michelle. is Michelle back here. <laughs> ah, you've been quiet. Yeah, I wouldn't so, go with you, Frank. I'd go with you a lot of places, but not there. Oh. Yeah, thank you. Well, thank you. <laughs> Well, hey guys, yeah. I gotta, I gotta <laughs> cut out. I have to cut out, but I just want to say, Shidoshi, yeah. uh, uh, you know, Master Hanshi Hex, you know, I have mad love and respect for the both of you. And, uh, you know, Hanshi, uh, I want to say thank you because we talked about the, we were talking today about the PTSD issues. You yeah. talked me through a lot of issues at, at a hard time for me when nobody, I wasn't listening to anybody. And yeah. life is moving in the right directions of coming back out of that cave and this whole decision to go back to school. You had a lot to do with that. And I never called you to thank you. And yeah, I was going to give you a call. <laughs> yeah, you have. But, yeah. but um, you, know, you know, you're going to do a lot for the community, man. I'm telling you, you're a brilliant man. And to go back to school and put a, some letters behind that brilliance just makes you a louder, brilliant person. You know, we've got we've got another warrior scholar here. I did not know Michelle was there. Michelle is another warrior scholar, and what a brilliant woman she is. So, you know, the, the world is ours. I'm telling you right now, the world is ours. We we know what it takes to right some of these wrongs in society, and you put this kind of talent together, and there's nothing we can't accomplish. I'm gonna tell you that well, right now. I am I'm super excited about what you're doing. Well, you know, I am just thankful to have had. Masters like you, Shidoshi Dukes, and you, Hanshi Hecht, uh, and good brothers like Sifu Bob, Hill, and uh, getting to know Dottie and Michelle. Uh, I'm just humbled because I'm a product of you guys, and I just want to do honor to what you have given to me to hope to lead somebody or share with somebody else coming up that maybe I can help them in return, pay it forward. But, you know, I yep. love you guys. I respect you all, and I uh, am really proud to be part of your families. So I'm going to move out. You guys have a great night, and I love this discussion. Wow. So it was deep. a great discussion. <laughs> yeah. Look, guys, be good. I'll reach out to you soon, Greg. Well, let's just talk soon, Andre, yes, okay? Yes, definitely. Good. All right. And, bye-bye, and, Shidoshi. And, bye-bye. And congratulations for, your, for getting the college, sir. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, this is an all-star cast we have here. Oh, my yeah, God. This is great. This, this could be an Oprah. You <laughs> <laughs> think I'm kidding me. So, anyway. Well, let's, let's get back on track because we have about 40 minutes left. 
Shidoji, tell us about your martial path, how you got started, and where where you went to, and how you ended up there today. How with your well, training? Who you trained with that sort of thing? You got three hours. No. <laughs> uh, make it make it make it brief. I was a kid who just basically, like I was saying before, I I grew up. My parents were Holocaust survivors. I came to the United States literally with nothing. I mean, my bed was literally taken with little clothes I had, and I had to fold it up every night really nicely because I, I was sleeping on a hardwood floor. And uh, and that was my bed, basically covered myself in my jacket. And um, I, 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 was, I excelled at sports. I was actually very large for my, my age. I think one of the reasons I excelled is because I was actually born uh, handicapped. And my feet were actually backwards, and they actually had to put it in a boot and move it forward, sort of like Forrest Gump, if you will. Um, I was one of those kids. I remember even waking up in the middle of the night, and, you know, I had to literally crawl to the bathroom because I couldn't walk. Um, And so I was very aware of my physicality or lack of physical, so I worked harder than anybody. And uh, I wanted to, you know, I I would walk home from school and I would see um, Bill Riyasaki school and I'd look in and there'd be Bruce Lee before it was Bruce Lee. Did we lose everybody? And you see, yeah, and you, I mean some of the greatest martial yeah, artists were there and I'd watch them and they didn't have shoes on and I I didn't have the proper shoes with so what I would do is I'd go to the Chinese place next door. Bill, in fact, I had a it was at uh, your your event, Dan. I was reunited with Bill and we were reminiscing about this and I when I was a boy I would go to the Chinese restaurant next door, I would clean up. Then I would take the, go to his, his, his dojo and I would clean the windows. And in return, he would like open the blinds up and then he would kind of instruct me through the window. And, you know, I, and I would literally be on the sidewalk learning, you know, and I, I guess it gave a new coin to the word street fighter, I guess, but <laughs> anyways, <laughs> a, um, <laughs> and so, you know, and and it, and, he, and, it, and it was really interesting because whenever he would come out or send somebody out to me to, to, to ask me to come in, I'd run away. And then I would do the same thing. I'd, I'd go to uh, to different guys' schools. So it wasn't just, just Bill Ryosaki's, but I was in front of Pong Su Han's school. And I was in front of, uh, you know, I would go to, you know, at Chuck Norris's school. When he, when he when Chuck Norris actually had the school in Ventura Boulevard and, Ventura, and I would go to Bob Osman and see him. And Bob Osman was the most powerful, you know, the most powerful uh, striker I ever saw. At that time. I mean, just unbelievable. I mean, you can imagine this. He's coming out of Gelson's with his. Um, for those who know the area, he's on. He had a small studio located right next to the Ventura Freeway on Van Nuys Boulevard, and right behind him was the supermarket Gelson's. And here he comes walking with his groceries in his hand. And, I, and some guy tried to rob him, and he just, he, with one hand, he just hit the guy, knocked him right out. And, of course, that's when I'm following him right into uh, into the studio, and that's when I met Charlotte Sweeney. And I used to go in the back, and Charlotte used to sneak me in. She's one of his black belts and sneak me in so I could watch and how he developed his power. And and I, I basically taught myself, but I taught myself by watching the best guys in the business, legends. And... Uh, in my symbols and, and studying Bruce Lee. I mean, I loved his philosophy. I fell in love with the, the only book I could afford was Bruce Lee's uh, Fighting Methods. And it was a, the one complete book, his first book, what was all the five books in one hardback book. 
And what inspired me about Lee is he was he was basically saying you don't need to have all this classical training that you could do it on your own. That he you know he invented a system by studying all the systems. So I had a I had a, an epiphany if you want to call it, and it's, it was simpatico with everything. And in fact, so much so, in fact, to this weekend at, at another event, I met Gary Dills, who's the last pup, actual JKD, the last guy in the real lineage of Bruce Lee. Um, as far as uh, a direct line when he was around and alive when when he was teaching. And, and uh, he actually gave me Bruce Lee's notes, original notes that he had had given to him in 1967, handwritten. So I have those now. And uh, he, and, and that was an amazing. And I'm telling you that, I'm just sharing because I'm like, God, I, I got to chill, you know, when, I, when Gary showed me those things. And I was like reading his thoughts, and they were exactly like my thoughts at that time. And my thoughts even today of what combat really is and what a martial art really is. And so the whole point of Lee is he showed that you can be eclectic. And that was an important part of my life. And then based on on that, that I had no limitations. Like Lee says, you know, no limitation is, is a limitation. You know, I I excelled and I applied myself. And, and uh, I was uh, something, you know, that came out of the box. You know, and I eventually, you know, um, gosh, I say, uh, I feel like I'm rambling now, but uh, um, those were big influences in my life. Uh, Bong Sohan was a big influence in my life in the sense of a spiritual side, you know, because I met this guy who drives up and he's this happy guy. And he was, for those who don't know, Bong Sohan was the actual guy who took his leg and hit the other guy on the side of the cheek where he couldn't move before he could couldn't do anything in the movie Billy Jack. Um, he's an incredible for kicking and, and Hapkido master. And in his studio, he had three symbols in the, above his mirror. And I went in there and talked to him, found out about it. Maybe those symbols became a, a spiritual journey for me, my spiritual solution. And one that was symbol was for benevolence. One is for represents courage and valor, but they're two different concepts. Courage is something that you willingly choose and valor is when something's thrust upon you but you don't you don't uh, you meet your obligations in the face of all the odds and the last one of course is wisdom you act out of wisdom and so those four principles I followed those four principles and I found myself being dead to the distractions of the world and that principle is called in Japanese martial arts they call it mushin eventually you know mind no mind where you you can recall everything autonomically. And so it was like four ways of the course is the way I interpreted it. And, then, and, and, and that was phonetically, not in kanji, but phonetically, she does she. And that's where I invented the word, and I started using it in 1975 because I started teaching them. I didn't want to call myself a sensei because I wasn't formally trained in the karate school. I wasn't a Sifu trained in Kung Fu, although I studied both by watching and, and learning with some of the best guys. Uh, I did. I even did uh, the, the, the the Korean studying the Korean, which is the Do. And so I came up with the term Shi Do Shi based on those symbols there. And of course, it showed up in the movie Bloodsport. And next thing you know, I'm I'm seeing everybody call himself Shiyoshi around the world, which I kind of, which I kind of, kind of looked at. 
Um, but there, you know, for what it's worth, it, you know, it, 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 I heard it used before too, and that was by my instructor, which is, but it was a dead word, and, and uh, the the word where means director in Japanese. But you know, so but my usage of it was my invention. I just saw the the relationship between the two, and so I said, this is a nice fit, and this will work for me. And so that's how I that's how guys like Greg and everybody got to know me and started addressing me as Shidoshi. But it's not the same Shidoshi as some people are using it, in, I guess, in their systems. So, And that's a principle. Now, I, you know, I do that because that I want to stress people to achieve that level. Huh? You told that story to me a couple weeks ago, and I was fascinated that it just caught on. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, well, here's another thing people don't It was realize. a made-up word and not actually Japanese. No. It was, made up word. it was actually made up of the Korean. It was made up of Korean. It was made up of the uh, of, of, of a Japanese term and a, and a Chinese term. Because mm-hmm. I was blending all three. That's what I was doing. So I had to figure out a name. How do I give myself a title? Because everybody's going to walk on the dojo. I can't. I don't want to call him Sensei. I don't want to call him Shihan. I don't want to call you know. Yeah. So that's where that came Absolutely. from. Well, I want to bring somebody else on the show. She normally hosts the show. She's like. My best friend on the planet. I can say that now that Greg's not around. Uh, <laughs> I'm bringing you. What are you laughing at? <laughs> Hi, everybody. Hey, Tina. Hey, Hi, Michelle. Hey. Hi, Hunchy Frick or Shidoshi. I only caught, I only caught like a little bit of the conversation because I was driving. I called Bob and I said, I'm calling in to listen, but don't put me on. I'm driving. So, interesting conversation so far. What else did I miss, Super Bob? Uh, oh, a lot. You know what? You miss a lot. You miss the first part of the, the psychology of war type conversation. It was it was actually really fascinating. I had to try cool. to bring it back around uh, mm-hmm. since it is the Frank Dukes interview. <laughs> I, thought, <laughs> I hadn't said anything for like 30 minutes. I hadn't said anything. <laughs> I had lost control. Probably some of the best stuff on radio in a long time. That was a really good conversation. It was. was I didn't want to interrupt it. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) That's cool. Awesome. Well, I guess we're back on track, so that's good. I don't even know where track is because I just came into the conversation. <laughs> now, I want to ask this. Actually, I'm going to hand the, uh, the, the mic over to Michelle, which has her notes in front of her. Uh, cool. She's got the next yep. question for, for Hanji. Okay. Well, Hanji, well, how, how did you get involved in the movie industry? Uh, can you hear me? Yes. Um, yeah, that's, okay, an interesting, that's an interesting question. I actually got involved in the music in the movie industry when I opened my school in 1980, and Mr. everybody remember the uh, Charmin commercials, Mr. Whipple. Well, his son walked into my school, named Stuart Wilson, and Stuart, you know, he, you could tell Stuart took a lot of growth in school because his dad was Mr. Whipple, and he was a tough kid. I'm going to just tell you, it, it made him. Uh-huh. It was sort of like the story of like, sort of like you know, a boy named Sue. That was that was Stuart, and so Stuart wanted to in asserting himself. He didn't want to be an actor, but he did want to be in the in the, in the industry, and he was learning stunts from Huey Currents. 
And in exchange for partially trading, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, we call it the Stewart, he, he asked me if, you know, if uh, I'd like to come over to the stunt school. They wanted somebody basically to teach martial arts and, and improve people there. In exchange, I would get stunt training. And that's how I got involved in the, in, in the industry. And so what ended up happening is I, I was very lucky. I met Fred Morgan, who is a, a Stuntman Hall of Fame legend. Hubie Kearns, who's a Stuntman Hall of Fame legend. Hubie, for those that know, was the actual uh, double for Adam West on Batman. Um, and he taught Bruce Lee motion picture fighting. He's the one who taught Bruce Lee motion picture fighting and the camera stuff that we use today. So I had a real advantage. And on top of that, I, I the bug caught me, and I ended up going to California State University in Northridge, and I got a degree in radio, TV, film uh, from there. And I ended up, uh, uh, you know, uh, I should say I was just short of getting my degree. Let me correct that. I, I was on the dean's list, and I was in the Alpha Epsilon Psi uh, uh, fraternity. Or, yeah, it's, I guess it's like a fraternity, but it's for radio broadcasting and, and filmmaking. Um, anyways, to make a long story short, uh, you know, I, I got a chance to hone my craft, and when Bloodsport came around, I could really talk shop with uh, David Worth, who was an incredible mm-hmm. DP, director of photography at that time, and he's a director today. He teaches at UCLA now. We would teach his film at UCLA. And between David and me, we invented new ways of shooting fight scenes, and I had a great imagination and, and also I had a good technical background and I started asking him, what if we played with shutter speed as opposed to, as opposed to film speed? And what if we shot it this way and we did handhelds this way? And and a lot of things that you see today being used in film, you know, we created. And uh, I kept the fight scenes as real as what the real fights look like. So when Showtime came out, they actually did a comparison between the movie and they could actually see some of the actual fight, fighting going on. And you could see it, they were identical. Perfect. Very cool. That is... And, and, and also, they allowed me to... i got to say, Mark DeSalle did me a favor in that sense. He gave me a lot of latitude on Bloodsport, not only in the choreography, but in the wardrobe. When the, when the original wardrobe lady did her thing, she, she did the best job she could, but she was... In the dark, and there was nothing written about Kumite fighting. There's nothing she really knew. So she right. was kind of taking things from stories from this person and that person. I ended up paying out of my own pocket for uniforms to be brought to the set from L.A. Proper, you know, uh, hakamas, proper, you know, gi tops for the right kinds of to match. You know what the guy was doing. He's doing jujitsu. He needed to be in a jujitsu gi. You know, he's doing. You know, Shirinji Kempo, they have their own uniform. So that was one of the things that was really interesting in the movie. And then, of course, I got, everybody saw Jean-Claude in his shorts. And the reason Jean-Claude wore shorts is a lot of people thought it was to show off his physique, but it wasn't for that purpose. The reason he was in the bicycle shorts is when I used to fight, I, and I started in geese, uh, then I, you know, I've, I've seen, I think if some people see these, fight footage of me uh, on the internet you can see that I'm sometimes I'm wearing gi sometimes I'm wearing a, like you know uh, you know kung fu jacket I'm, I'm dressed differently every time the reason I was dressed different every time is because people would go out and they say oh CCT judo is better or Japanese style better than 
you know, Korean style, mm. Korean style better than Chinese. And this would go on and on and on. And I was like, and I didn't have any one style. Do you understand where, where I was coming from? And, they, mm-hmm. and I'd have guys yell at me, no, you're not a Korean martial artist. Why do you wear that? You know, and you, I can tell you're not, you know, by how you do things. Or you're not Chinese. So I, I finally said, you know what? This is really a fight of mano a mano. This is man against man. The heck with this superiority thing of who's better than who, what style is better than this, what race is better than this. I said, and I just stripped down, and I have them tie, you know, sew a belt to my, my pants, my shorts, you would. And I had them do the embroidery on the side, like you see in the movie. And the reason for that is you're commanded. You have to have a certain amount of embroidery, and you had to have certain things. So I made it comply with the written, the way the, the rules were kind of written, although there weren't really written rules, but the general accepted rules of what you had to have at the time. And, uh, and, I, and that's why I fought that way. And, uh, and it's to send, again, send that message of, uh, you know, we're, it's just man against man. It's not race against race, country against country. You know, culture against culture, and uh, and that that seemed to stick, and eventually it carried on, like you know, to the uh, MMA that you see today, and everybody's fighting in board shorts today. <laughs> True. Oh, very cool. You know, and and I, the next subject I'm going to talk about, I I wanted to really breach. Uh, mm-hmm. When someone like yourself reaches the kind of notoriety that you did. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of positivity, but there's also a lot of negativity. Mm-hmm. I know you experience, to say the least. There are websites dedicated to discrediting you. Oh, yeah. That takes a lot of time and energy. You know, I could never do that because who, who cares? I wasn't in <laughs> You know what I mean? Yep. So tell us about the trash-talking individuals, the people that came up with Bullshito. And, and that sort of thing, because I'm really upset, because they don't know you. I've had people that wanted me to introduce well, me to it, you, or to hook up with you, that, that didn't know we were like brothers. <laughs> yeah. Well, well I'll, I'll tell you something. You, you know, here's the thing. I think Jefferson said it best, okay? Show me a man without, you know, controversy, and I'll show you a man without character. <laughs> and I took, I, I took a stand, and I love it. I'm known. I'm probably one of the more... Uh, I, want to, I don't want to say controversial because controversy implies that there's something legitimate behind it, but I, I'm probably one of the most um, staunchest people, you know, as far as integrity goes and, and the spirit. And I was, I, I was the kid on the outside. So here I am and I'm coming up through the ranks and I'm beating the best and they're all talking about lineage and they're all talking about how you to do this way. And I, I have no lineage. So I'm basically throwing things in a lot of people's faces. So they get, they resent that. And their own shortcomings is, and their own inadequacies is what really causes it, a lot of it. A lot of it is also anti-Semitism. When I, I was in, featured in Black Belt Magazine, September, October, and November 1980. The minute it came out that I was Jewish, and it also came out the fact that I said, well, I, when they started wanting to push the ninja thing and, and ninjutsu, and I said, wait a minute, that, that, there's no such thing as a martial artist ninjutsu. And I could prove it. I could talk it. And I was highly knowledgeable about it. And I have two letters from Black Belt Magazine, the editor actually writing that uh, there's only a couple of people in the world that he considered to be knowledgeable in the, the ways of the ninja, and I was one of them. Um, I was locked out of the industry. And I was doing great until, you know, and that still didn't matter because my skill sets were doing, you know, spoke for themselves. You, all you had to do is walk into my school and you knew what was what. Um, 
right away. I let I just let her let my actions speak. But things got vicious in 1988, and I can't. I can. There's any number of reasons why this person might have done it. But the LA Times, maybe with the movie coming out, created created decided to create a sensational story. They ha- it's actually the most second highest selling republication in, the, in all the stories they've ever covered. Which means I've actually you know landing on the moon doesn't even compare to what they did. And they created a they fabricated a story about me. They fabricated a story that the Black Dragons didn't exist. They couldn't find them. We're having a reunion next month. I mean, I invite everybody to show up. And go on, uh, you know, go on, you know, you can come uh, contact me. I'm happy to invite you down and take a look at it. Um, they fabricated the idea that I, I purchased my own trophy. What had happened is two guys were in my studio. They were from a competitive chain of schools. They got caught breaking into my school. They destroyed my my trophies, my certificates, uh, destroyed videos, uh, you know, anything that really proved up my bona fides. And what's ironic is the same guys who did this and the same group who did this are the ones who years go out later, oh, prove this to us, prove that to us. Well, they're betting on the fact that I can't prove it because they destroyed it, um, mm. and, and which is sad. But, but, but And here's the thing, a good reporter or anybody would have immediately gone to the legal case and seen that there was property destroyed proving but you don't hear about that, do you? You know, I mean, it's a matter of court record. These guys were convicted of this. This isn't, a, you know, they were caught in the act of doing this. So you have that combination of things going on. And, and you know, and like the trophy, when you look at the so-called receipt that they were relying on, when we got, I actually sued Soldier Fortune magazine uh, for repeating this libel and slander. And they couldn't argue the truth is a defense. You look at the case, they had to argue that, well, they were lying on other people's information. They thought it was credible, which obviously it wasn't. Uh, and, and, it, and it was obvious to anybody looking at it. It just, you know, and, uh, and a good example of that is Chasing the Frog was a, was a website, for example, that was really adamant against me for many years. And I didn't understand the Internet, so I didn't understand how to combat it or what to do. I just kind of just went along and did my thing. But eventually... I was able to get a contact information and contact the person and said, look, you know, what you're saying is not true, and I'm happy to show you the truth. And I said, and on top of that, I said, you're, you're, you're breaking the law because I just sued, you know, sort of a fortune and said all the evidence is a matter of public record now. Um, you can verify it. just like going to the, the, pulling the court records and see the exhibits. And this so-called receipt was bogus on its face. I mean, a, a judge actually threw it out of court. Because, first of all, it misspelled my name. My name is D-U-X. It's not D-U-K-E-S. It had my parents' address because apparently whoever forged it looked in the phone book and, and got their address, so they thought that was my address. Uh, and on top of that, it was for the wrong date. I had my trophy on display since 1976. You know, they, they, the original receipt, when it was shown to me, believe it or not, in the office of the LA Times, and they changed it later, by the way, was 1982. I pointed out at that time in that meeting with my attorney present that um, that the that if, if you go to the issue of 1980 uh, Black Belt magazine, you'll see me holding the, my trophy, which, by the way, doesn't even match the one that they had as a receipt, which was for a three-tiered trophy with four, you know, judo figures on it and two gold cups. I mean, mine's a, a pedestal with a, a silver... Um, a silver uh, uh, um, cup, a giant, or a silver bowl, a giant bowl, silver bowl. Right. And 
and they got a quote and show you how dastardly or t- conniving and, and, and deceptive the reporter was. He takes a quote from a guy named uh, Mr. Moody from a, a repair shop, a trophy shop near my home. And he says, yeah, I, I partially made the trophy. And he quotes it. His, he says partially made the trophy. Well, the reason, how do you partially make something? You don't partially make something unless you're repairing it. And that's what he did. Mm-hmm. He repaired what was destroyed by these guys. And he took that quote and, and misused it and, took, and fabricated a receipt, obviously, from one of his receipts that he had and then tried to use that as evidence against me. Never cite sources about things, only cited when they did talk to anybody in the article. They talked to my business competitors. They don't talk, to, they don't talk about the fact that the reporter doesn't mention the fact that he talked to Ed Parker and Ed Parker says, I'll produce fighters for you. You know, what, what are you talking about? He says he fought my members of my own extended family, this kid. And, uh, and Mickey Blowitz uh, actually gave a declaration of penalty of perjury because he was present to hearing the fight between the reporter. And it became really apparent to Mickey, who contacted me, and saying, this guy is acting with actual malice towards you. He, he is hell-bent on hurting you. I don't know what's motivating him. I still don't know what motivated the guy to do that. But he tried to do that, tried to say I misrepresented myself, was wearing military decorations. Well, no, I never misrepresented myself. I was given military decorations actually at, uh, to a government official, and they had all the proper paperwork. But when we went to one of the things I went to do is confirm and, and see if this was legit or somebody was just trying to set me up. That's what really happened, and it's all, there's a whole legal file and, and record of all that going on. So in and that may be due to the fact that it's very common that guys who, are, who do what I do, do like an Argo, you do get a decoration, and then they can quickly, because of security for reasons, take it away from you in sense of public, in, in sense of public view. They, they don't deny it. They just, they just basically, it's not available. And in, uh, in my case, it was, to quote the, even the reporter, that the, 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 uh, the public affairs office of the armed services said, well, we have nothing to indicate that he got him at this time. Now that should have been a real red flag or a clue to somebody. Nothing at this time, you know, meaning exactly. we can't talk about it. Right you understand what I'm saying? And, I, and by the way, years later, I don't know if any people know this, but uh, there was a military honor ceremony, which I, which I was brought before in Kentucky and I was awarded a, you know, a, my, you know, by the governor of, of Kentucky, the title of, of, of uh, Kentucky Admiral, which is the highest award you can get. And I had citations of valor from the Senate and, the, and from the uh, House of Representatives. And uh, they're online. People have seen them. I, if you go to uh, Legends and Legacies magazine, I give them an, uh, an interview there. And in that interview, you can see actual the actual uh, – Citations. Uh, Gordon Rakusu gave the gave the uh, interview. He he was kind enough to uh, to photograph all that and examine all that and, and corroborate it. So. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, and so you know, I, I I've, I've lived an incredible life because I, like I said, my life has always been dedicated to trying to serve a higher purpose. And when you do that, it just new doors and new things open up for you. And people, I think basically good and then they read that and they want to help you they they want to they want you to win more than you want to win for yourself and that's the real secret when you when you can motivate other people to want to see you win more than yourself and you when you do that you're always going to be the the 
the target of people who aren't living that lifestyle, who are generally not living a life of integrity, and True. they see you as cannon fodder. They see you as meat. They see you as something to go after you. And, and that's why the world's full of sociopaths and psychopaths. And if you look at uh, Bullshito, for example, that, that site, I did four or five videos exposing how they lied and showing that, that really what they're doing is just using controversy to drive traffic to their site in order to, to financially benefit themselves. And that's what's really going on. Right. Oh, absolutely. Uh, even at the Masters, they said, don't sit right next to so-and-so. And you you told you were sitting next to me. You said I don't even know this guy. I've never met him before. <laughs> yeah. How ridiculous was that? Yeah, it's, it's true. I, I I never met the guy. I one day on Facebook he's saying I said something or I said this. And I said, what 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 are you on like drugs or something? First of all, anybody who knows me is laughing at you because they know that's not a statement I would ever say. The guy was saying I was running around saying I could dodge bullets. You know, anybody what? who knows me knows, knows how oh, ludicrous cool. that statement is. Come on. Mm-hmm. You know, I call it I call mm-hmm. it humble I call it humble bragging when people blame somebody else for uh, <laughs> talking about them because it makes them look like uh, like a formidable opponent or something like that. And right. it's like really, well, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah you know, humble bragging. They're not saying, "Oh, look how cool I am." I'm just going to say that Frank Duke said something about me because I'm all that. And, you know, it's it's just bullshito. <laughs> oh yeah, well, those, those, well, well, those we guys, hear all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I'm going, I'm coming out with a book called um, Ninjas or Bravo Sierra, which, by the way, for those who don't know, that's code for bullshit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Well, Okay, and it, I really talk about, when you read this book, you'll understand why they silenced me. I'm being very honest with you. You'll really see the money that exchanged hands and how crushers, and, and it's called Ninjas of Bullshit, and it's about the manipulation of perception, racketeering, and racism in the martial arts, mm-hmm. and how it started oh, wow. like, with my experience all the way through. And I'm very thorough on what really Ninjutsu is, and I talk about what's really in the scrolls, it's really interesting how many people quote the Bonds and Shukai but really never read them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, don't even have an idea of what really ninjutsu is in the 16th century, 17th century, 18th century, 19th century, 20th century. They're totally different. It took on a totally different vibrance, you know, and being academic in my approach, uh, I use inline, I make it very easy for people. I, I use inline uh, footnotes. In other words, I'm telling you the source as I'm writing it. So you don't have to go hunting here or there. And, uh, you know, it, 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 I, one of the things I address is what I call the I-Nazis, you know, and that's what these guys are. And they have this superior attitude, and they think they're elitist. Mm-hmm. And if you uh-huh. even look at some of their posts, they're highly racist in their view. Uh-huh. You know, um, I mean, they're, they're really inflammatory. And it was really interesting because uh-huh. their legal counsel was on saying, oh, was trying to scrub. Well, we don't edit stuff. It was just politically incorrect. We're just a server. We let people put up their opinions. Really? Mm-hmm. And how come all the people who are positive on my side who wanted to put up positive things on me, you won't allow that to go on your website? Uh-huh. If, you're, if you're not being racist or you're not being a hate site. Uh-huh. You know? It's not about getting at the truth. Yeah. 
and you know, and, and there's certain people with certain agendas, and, and, and that's what it really comes down to. And, it, and I explore all that. And I, I expose all that, you know. And uh, well, like Frank. one of the people on their site, I want to make this real clear, who's talking really badly about me. Well, she's she's a paid shill for like one of the major mm-hmm. publishers. Mm-hmm. And she goes out and she gets paid to give good reviews to their to their clients and their business competitors. She she basically slanders and libels on the internet, or just sends people to sources that she knows are not are not credible or proven not yeah. credible, like I did in mm-hmm. Fortune magazine. I mean, there's a book out called uh, Stolen Valor by Richard Burkett. I uh, when we did the final court analysis, um, and it's uh, you can go to dukesru8m.com. You can you can look at it there. The analysis he made 600 unsubstantiated allegations against me. 600. Oh my goodness! You know? Wow. Okay, and the ones he did uh, he did substantiate, they all were shown to be proven to be unreliable and false, you know? And this is the same guy who basically went after Kerry with the Swift Boat lies, part of that same group. Kerry showed himself to be just basically a political hatchet man for ultra-right-wing extremists. That's what his deal is, you know? And if you look at uh, Black Belt Magazine, for example, and talk about the racism, you know, go go look back on Black Belt Magazine and see if you see a anyone of of color, anyone who's an ethnic minority being featured in the magazine and featured on the cover at the same time. You might have someone like Billy Blanks, for example, being on the cover, but he's going to be the throwing dummy for the person who the article's on. Mm-hmm. And they try to say, well, my, uh, minorities don't sell. That's their defense. Really? So you're going to tell me? Muhammad Ali, who was the most popular guy in the world at that time, is a fighter who was a martial artist, wouldn't sell, but he, he but he could sell on Newsweek, he could sell on Time Magazine, he could sell on all these other things, mm-hmm. but he can't sell on Black Lives mm-hmm. Is that what you're trying to tell me? I mean, it's ridiculous, the statements they make. But that's what happened. And in my case, they wouldn't even allow me to advertise. Bloodsport came out. I wasn't even allowed to, 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 to run an ad. Ashita Kim, they called him a fraud. They went after him. He went to try to advertise when they would make false statements, like saying a certain person was the first and the only, only person trained in jiu-jitsu in the world, in the West, uh, when, when frankly, that's a complete lie, because in his own organization, he had three or four people before him, well-known people, one of which is in my lineage as teachers. So it's like, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. You, you see what I'm saying? But that's, that goes to the racketeering side of my book, and, that, and I'll address that, and it's in great detail. I think it's going to open a lot of people's eyes, and I think anybody who wants to get a ninjutsu, they're going to have to buy my book first to really understand what the, lay of the, what the real lay of the land is as far as that subject matter goes. And that's why I wrote Well, wrote that's great. It's, a, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, to, it's to protect the public. And it's a, it's a good history book because it goes beyond um, just martial arts. You know, it talks mm-hmm. about which, you know, it gives you a real peek into what's going on, and how it's a, how this is a very good window to what we're really facing in the future. You know, as far as like our media, as far as what real dangers lie ahead for us. Mm-hmm. Well, Frank, I have a really exciting question to ask you. And sure. um, you know, it was once said that um, you were in a fight where you obtained the record of the fastest knockout. Um, do you, if you remember that, can you tell us a little bit about that and where it took place and what you remember? Oh, God. When, I, when they had the fa- you mean the fastest knockout? Yes. Uh, oh gosh. I, I'm honestly, I'm just, I'm trying to remember the. Um, 
Oh, well, one of, one of the incidents was I, I had a guy who basically, it's like in the movie, he basically, like, threatened me. I mean, he's going to beat me and do all this stuff. And it just, it just made me so angry. And uh, essentially, I just, you know, I just put him out in, like, 3.2 seconds. I mean, that's that's what happened. I just, he, you know, I just exploded into the guy. So, is, right. is that what wow. Yeah, and, and it's, you know, it just, I mean, it was, it's like in the movie. The guy pumped himself up, did all this, and he was a, he, he made some anti-Semitic mar- remarks towards me. That's all I have to say. And, uh, he, he basically told me, well, you know, this, you know, this is what we do to your kind and my country and all this kind of stuff. And it, he's like a jihadist, like you see today. I mean, if he had the opportunity mm-hmm. to cut off my head, he would have. Um, part of the thing, the backstory of that, and I, I guess I might as well talk about it, is the fact that they actually sent, when I was getting dressed and I was in the bathroom, they sent a guy to, to hit me with a pipe um, before the fight. Took me to the next level, and then the guy the night before was also poking my my chest all night and, and saying to me, you know, this is another fight by the way. And the same same group of guys they had a, a guy. He was a Syrian policeman by the way, and he he was just poking me. He says, I'm going to show you how we treat Jews in my part of the world. You know what I mean? You, you have no business being here. Blah 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 blah. And uh, who's the only guy? It was really weird. I mean, nobody knew what my ethnic background was, but somehow this guy, maybe because he figured it out, I don't know, maybe he had such a hatred, I don't I don't know how he knew it, because I wasn't talking about it to anybody, nobody even knew my name, I would almost fight under a pseudonym, but somehow he, he picked up on it, and and, uh, and I told him, I, you know, to this day, I remember, I told him, you know what, touch me one more time, I'm going to break your arm, I'm going to hit you, your head over it, you, you know, I'm going to hit you uh, over the head with your own arm, and I did it. And that's the bottom line. He threw a punch at me, and I caught it, snapped it, and, uh, and you know, swung it around, um, not intending, really not really intending to do that at that point, but it just came out. And uh, and that, that's probably the most brutal fight I ever had in my life. It, it mm-hmm. just, because it, it went to the core. I, it, I actually probably, if the referee didn't step in, I probably would have killed him on the ring. And, and I don't know why. It was just so... It, it was, and I was 19 at the time, and it was just one of those moments where I was very young, and I was very afraid, and I think he actually hurt himself because when he did that, I really took what he was saying for serious, especially when they tried to attack me, in the, you know, beforehand. So it awoke a whole new side of me up, I guess is what you say. It took it to a different level. But normally, in every other fight in Kumite, what made it so different is and what he did was so out of character because, I mean, I would go to the hospital. The guy got hurt. I would go to the hospital. I would pay his bills. I would make sure he was okay. I would take care of his rent. I would take care of whoever the fighter was because our experience those days, we weren't fighting for adoration. We weren't fighting really for money, although you may, you could make a lot of money. Um, but we were fighting to really learn. I mean, we didn't have the Internet. We didn't have really decent books, okay? We didn't have any of that information. It was We were starving for information in those days about different styles, different systems, different things. Did our stuff really work? And so it was really more about a learning experience when we went into this thing rather than, you know, look at me, I'm the baddest guy in the world, you know? Right, right. Well, we've got about 50 seconds left of live feed. Yeah. I want to keep going a little bit. Uh, it'll be archived on the archived version. But 
you know, what I've known, Frank, is very few people know the real you. They know hearsay. They know the bullshitos. They know, you know, I inducted you in the Madison Hall of Fame in 2011. You came up to me and hugged me like a, I, I was your long-lost brother. I hadn't seen you in like 10 years. And my point being is that they don't know the real you. They don't know about the caring you. I want to delve in a little bit to the program that you're developing in Seattle for, would you call them underprivileged youth? Yes. I would. I, I, I have a program where we try to, try to get sponsors for them, but basically I, I... It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.